Welcome to People Tech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. I'm Mark Pfeffer. Joining us today is Martha Berg, the Chief Business Anthropologist at ADP. We're going to talk about hybrid work, its impact on how work gets done, on people, and on managing a workforce under strange circumstances. That and more on this edition of People Tech. Martha, it's great to see you. We're in this period where people, a lot of people are working from home. In, they started working from home because of the virus, but it was, un, it was unanticipated. It happened very quickly. So, you know, now we're more than a year into, into COVID. And I'm wondering how important is it for people to, to be in the same room with others when they spend most of their time looking at a screen anyway? And in, in other words, is this whole idea of challenges with remote work, is it all overblown? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting thing. So I imagine, you know, I'm, um, I'm on a Zoom call or, a, 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 you know, a, a video call and th- someone three seats down is on the same call. And so you've got these people in this office and they're all sort of on that same call. But they're, they're theoretically, they're very remote from one another, even though they're in the same physical space. And that, to me, um, feels like, you know, not the direction of, of, of human connection that we really want to foster in an office. I mean, that to me feels very um, atomistic in a way, right? So you're, you're going into an office simply to be present to, let's say, for instance, check your emails or be on this call when you could very well do those things from home um, or from some other third space, not, not, not necessarily home. Because I think we are understanding, um, you know, work from home in the context of a pandemic. And I think that will change uh, when uh, hopefully the health concerns are, are, are less. But, you know, there are things about, I think there's ways of thinking about this. And one of the ways that I like to think about this is what are the things that benefit from in-person? What are the kinds of experiences that that are important for that type of, of, of you know, interpersonal relating. And to me, that really comes down to, you know, a manager understanding what, what's the project team's working on. You know, and it doesn't matter, it's cross industries. What, what are the things that are super important to have those um, like happy circumstances of crossing and, 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 and you know, cross-pollination of ideas. And I think this is particularly true in very large companies where a lot of what you get as inspiration comes from maybe another functional area. And so you might be going down and getting a coffee and you, you, you know, cross paths with someone from an entirely different functional area. But then you start to talk and you understand, oh, they're working on this and I'm working on this. And, and then ideas actually start to, I think, ferment from there. But I think it's really where it, I think it's important. And I think the onus is on, on, on managers. Obviously it's also on company policy at, at a much higher level, but, uh, is to really be intentional and find out wh- where are these opportunities for getting together in physical space in a legacy setting, let's say, and where are they best um, done from a remote location? So it's really about intention and being really thoughtful about what practices um, you know, are, 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 is an advantage uh, in person. The other thing I'd add, and people have been talking about this, uh, other anthropologists in particular, 
um, Simon Roberts has written a book about um, the kind of embodied knowledge that we get. Embodied knowledge meaning we learn a lot from our environments, right? We go into an office and yes, we get to see like, oh, is that person closing their door or are they um, acknowledging with a certain kind of gesture or uh, do I feel like I'm being part of a team because someone's like all of these kind of embodied ways of knowing we are, we are at a deficit, I think, when we're doing things remotely. So I, I think that there's never a substitute uh, a, like long-term for in-person um, inter, you know, interrelationships. I, I, the, the frequency of that, I think, is up to, you know, really understanding what kind of, um, you know, work is on, uh, is, is being undertaken. Okay. Now, you know, it seems like a lot of people have spent time studying the efficiencies or inefficiencies that, that go along with working from home. There's no commute time, there's you know lower real estate costs for the company, all of that kind of stuff. But do these efficiencies come at a cost, um, a, personal, a personal cost? Yeah, um, I, I've thought about that myself quite a bit. And, and there are two things I'd, I'd suggest there is Yes, there are those sort of, um, you know, the things that people are focusing on in terms of efficiency and in terms of convenience and um, work-life balance. But one of the things that I think it's important to consider is that, you know, there are people who live by themselves or they live in a shared um, and they don't, you know, they may feel isolated, they may feel lonely, they may feel disconnected. Now that's a cost, that's a huge personal cost. I think loneliness is a huge personal cost, feeling alienated and not part of something. And then I think the other part of that is, is what we hear a lot about too, which is burnout, right? If you're in your own place and you're not commuting, there's somehow this, you know, we're gonna do something else instead and that's gonna be work. And so people are ending up, you know, doing way too much work and also balancing, you know, other personal responsibilities that they have. So to me, those personal costs are pretty high. Um, you know, we're not efficiency machines uh, that somehow gets framed in a way around these conversations like, oh, efficiency's up. And yes, but there are emotional, psycho-emotional things that I think are suffering um, too. And also cultural things, you know, just the, you know, how we get cues about what the culture of the company we work for are. And oftentimes that is, you know, in person or through some really highly intentional, um, you know, uh, activities. So what does that do to the workforce? I mean, what, what, what are some of the end results that uh, employers might see from their workforce if they're dealing with this? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think a lot of it would come down to some of the things they don't see, which I think is an issue, um, maybe even more so, like sort of this, this idea about loneliness and disconnection. So if someone can, you know, be, you know, working remotely and they then, okay, there's just no issue there. We're not going to talk about it. But if that person is also feeling like, you know, a, a lack of a connection, a lack of meaning, a lack of purposefulness, um, you know, that that's not a good thing. And so that's where I think, again, the manager, I mean, I, I talk a lot about the manager, but the manager of yesterday is not the manager of, of now and going forward, because there has to be a far greater degree of, I think, um, interpersonal intelligence or emotional IQ than there probably was in the past. So in that instance, you know, there is this idea that to check in and see how people are doing on an individual basis and do that 
in a, you know, formalized way. So it's not like just, you know, I happen to, you know, catch up with you or send you an invite for a meeting, but actually have a regular cadence where, you know, a regular cadence with an agenda that's about, you know, let's, you know, we want to see what's going on with you, how and how can I help you? You know, so there is a, I think there's a, another layer here that's, that's, um, that's unfolding, not necessarily by everybody's choice, because not everybody is meant to be, you know, or comfortable, frankly, as being in that role as a sort of a coach or a mentor more than sort of a leader or a, a boss, let's say. And a boss um, is much more able, at least traditionally, more able to do that kind of role when people are in an office, when they can keep tabs on them, when it's sort of like, oh, have you done X, Y, and Z? And the person say, yes, I've done it. As opposed to, you know, what are you working on? How's that working for you? What can I do to help you? I think they're very different, you know, in some instances, very subtle, but in other instances, particularly if you're a person with a personality that isn't inclined toward that more mentoring um, persona, I think it's, there's a learning curve there that I think is very steep for, for uh, a good many people. But I think people are, are trying. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Well, you know, that leads into my next, next question, which is, you know, how can people, I'm thinking managers really, but, you know, how can managers, um, when they spend most of their time working remotely, how do they build relationships? I mean, how do you, they mm. sort of overcome the space? Yeah, I mean, I think now, because again, we're in a, a unique moment with the, with the pandemic and sort of forced um, sort of separation, it, it, that's, that's one thing. But I think once this starts to uh, lift and, um, and the ways of working become more normalized, then I think it's going to be it's going to be an interesting uh, you know conversation about well first it's about what your company culture is and what you hope to achieve because maybe your company culture is I don't want to build a relationship with my employees and I want them just to do their thing and and so that that's an easy um, that's an easy uh, thing to to do uh, but I don't think that's the case in most companies and you know I've heard of very successful you know, uh, team get togethers outside of home or outside of the office or the legacy office in a third space or something. Uh, and the frequency can depend on, on your needs. But I mean, I've, I've seen very successful building of relationships based on, you know, a couple times a year getting together. Maybe you want to do it once a month. But yes, you do have to have that togetherness. The other thing too, Mark, that I thought was really interesting that I read about recently, and I really loved it for a, like a team building sort of activity or like, you know, sort of to get to know people. I've personally done this one time and, I, and not, I'll mention two. The one that I um, instigated, which was pre-pandemic, 
was for the team to post pictures of themselves when they were six years old and to, and to then write, what were you thinking about when you were six years old and what would you tell yourself now? And that was great because the team was, um, you know, is multi-generational, um, global. And so you learn a lot of things that you wouldn't otherwise have, have known. Like, you know, one of the teammates from um, Belarusia, his photo was in black and white. Now, every, most of the other photos um, on the team board were in, um, you know, uh, color. And so I asked him, like, you know, what's up with the black and white? And he said, you know, in, in at the time, it's during Soviet times, having a color photo was very, very difficult. It wasn't a standard practice, even though he wasn't very young, very old. You know, that was a nice piece of cultural learning that I think we all got to benefit from. The other exercise that I really like recently discovered was about uh, going around when you have a team, let's say a team meeting and you say, okay, what, like, what, what in your office um, can you share with us that like represents your day to day? And so, you know, someone will say, oh, here's a, a picture of my, you know, you know, my, my dog, or here is, um, you know, my notebook I've been working on, or here's a statue that I look at every once in a while. And people went around and share, you know, the leader, as well as the team members all kind of share these things. And I think it's a way of kind of scratching the veneer of this box that we find ourselves in, and sort of opening it up to a context. And I think anything that you can do to create you know, a sort of more humane context, I think is, is, you know, is great. At the same time, being sensitive to people who are probably, you know, not as comfortable, um, maybe sharing those things. And that's something that, you know, that a manager would want to know, you know, sort of in advance. Now, you touched on this, but I want to ask you a specific question, which is, how much of this is generational? You know, Gen Z supposedly mm. prefers electronic communication, so does this mean the workplace is just catching up with Gen Z? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because I, you know, I, I think about someone like my niece who's uh, 19 and I think, of, you know, I reflect back on, on the things that I've observed about a tremendous amount of time on uh, YouTube, uh, you know, doing some DIY stuff, learning about stuff on YouTube, whatever happens to be of interest, you know, collaborating with friends on things like, you know, Microsoft Teams or Google, um, you know, looking at uh, TikTok videos, contributing content to, you know, uh, to the to the threads in, in, in those spaces, all of those sorts of like, it's like the self curation, right? It's this ability to um, you know, have this independent, you know, really quick, really scanning and really getting stuff done, like high productivity across multiple platforms, social platforms, uh, and, and, and typically on a mobile phone. So you think, um, okay, how does that, you know, how does that relate to the office today? Well, one of the things I was, I'm, I'm thinking about that, that makes me laugh is imagine my niece, going into work and she's going into her space and there's a um you know an office phone and and it's the cord the squiggly cord next to it it would not be surprising to me if she's like oh, what is that squiggly cord thing you know it's like the thing to the handset right so imagine that just seems like extremely foreign like an alien object and then don't even go there with a fax machine because that's like a whole other thing so i think that there are I think that the way 
um, you know, I think that the direction of the digitization of the workplace is going is more in alignment with those experiences of somebody who only knows mobile and really has grown up on social media. There's still a long way to go. I think there's lots of gaps. So for instance, um, I don't think, um, you know, it, you know, there would be times I think would be conflict, for instance, if, you know, with someone in Gen Z who's used to getting stuff done fairly rapidly uh, and with a high degree of proficiency across digital um, devices, platforms and things, if, you know, they got an email, which I don't even I don't even know if my niece has probably written eight emails in her entire life. So she's used to, you know, SMS, or, you know, group chats and things. So I, I think there's there's still a gap. I think there's still going to be, there may be some frustration about processes that are in place in, in some of these companies, in many companies, frankly, about how things are done. Because I don't, I think that if someone in Gen Z is probably used to this sort of, you know, this, this content creation, huge, right? They've been creating content since they, you know, you know picked up a mobile phone. Um, the ability to have the sort of self-reliance and, and, and DIY, you know, sort of learning stuff, you know, as they go. Um, and, you know, I think a, you know, definitely a, an ability to work hard. So I don't think that's the issue, but I think that there are, you know, there are just culture, there, there are different cu cultural, you know, mindsets, I think, or, or worldviews based on somebody who, let's say, is, you know, 20, who's, you know, 45 years old. <laughs> I think that they're, you know, I, and I, and I think that a lot of this comes down to this, you know, this factor of, you know, social media and, you know, mobile phones. And I think that's the, that's the domain of Gen Z and that's what they, what's, what they know. So for me in that situation, I've reflected on this quite a bit. It's really about, I think, thinking really deeply about how to set up um, sort of like two-way mentoring so that like I could be, you know, I could advantage from somebody who was much younger and had the life experiences that they do and some of the ideas that they have. Because one of the things about Gen Z that I understand from my own research is that despite the fact that we talk about their, um, you know, interest in communicating digitally, many um, people in that cohort group have said that they prefer to actually have in-person conversations when it comes to work. So they would have an expectation of their manager to meet with them once a week, you know, maybe, you know, maybe a couple times a month, but basically it's an expectation there. And so I think, you know, I think there's some things that we're probably all learning about one another um, as we come together in these work workplaces, which are really highly um, uh, multi-generational. Um, but yeah, I think, I think this sort of, you know, putting people together who have had different experiences. And so, you know, I, I can, I can imagine a Gen Z person saying, Hey, why do we do it this way? I know, you know, I, I, I think we should do it like this. Cause this is like really efficient. I'm, you know, messing around with, with, you know, the slow boat that we're on. And then, you know, somebody who may have worked at the company longer um, might say, well, you know, let me explain to you where that came from, like how it, why it is that we do this thing. And that, that, that idea may make sense, may not make sense, but in any event, there's a conversation that's being had. So there's some like, um, you know, sort of um, wisdom 
from from somebody who's been there longer and perhaps from a different generation that would make sense. Uh, and then there's this sort of also this wisdom coming from somebody who has, you know, different experiences with technology, different understandings of how one can get things done. And so that's how things, that's how change happens. That's how technology evolves. That's how practices evolve. As practices evolve, technology evolves, but you need the friction, the creative friction that happens between respectful parties who are learning about each other. And I think, I think a company that can foster those sorts of dynamics is going to um, benefit both from the from the um, the wisdom of those who are in you know older generations and those coming up now let's say we get fully back to work uh, i should say back to the workplace um, late this year early early next year broadly speaking how will the interpersonal relationships in the office have changed? Well, I think it depends on a number of factors. So first, if you've never been in the office and now you're going in, if you were hired during, you know, during the, during the, you know, the lockdown, then, you know, that's going to be a whole other experience for you because you're meeting people that you've only ever seen in a, in a little box. Um, I think, you know, for in my experience, when I have actually gone into the office and seen people, it's sort of like you sort of step back and it's like, oh, are you are you actually real? Or are you still like this digital like phantom that I saw, you know, uh, on Zoom? So I think that everyone will have their own reactions, but I do think that we need to be particularly mindful of the people who have not been in the office yet, who have not met the team you know, in person, who haven't had those cues, you know, and they really don't have the, you know, they may have a sense of the culture. And, you know, if a company's doing really like doubling down on this, they would have created a handbook that really outlines what the company's values are, um, that really talks about, you know, that puts, that talks about how they put those values into practice. Um, and, you know, in that, at least in that case, that person would have a little bit more um, background, but you know, someone just coming in who's never been there and only seen people um, you know digitally. I think that's going to be, yeah, it's like it's like your first day in the office. It can be a little scary. Well, Martha, thanks so much for taking the time this afternoon. It was great to talk with you again. I love talking to you, Mark. I really appreciate it. We'll see how this thing unfolds. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> My guest today has been Martha Bird, the Chief Business Anthropologist at ADP. And this has been PeopleTech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. We're a publication of Recruiting Daily. We're also a part of Evergreen Podcasts. To see all of their programs, visit www.evergreenpodcasts.com. And to keep up with HR technology, visit the HCM Technology Report every day. We're the most trusted source of news in the HR tech industry. Find us at www.hcmtechnologyreport.com. I'm Mark Pfeffer. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. 
Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.